Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. Speaking is silver. Silence is the result of a magical vow from which you cannot be released. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. It's GJ today with a solo episode. And today we're going to take a look at the Phoenix Guard of the High Elves. Before we do that, it's time for a bit of hobby discussion, which will tie in directly to the team of the show. Not everybody needs a hobby. A hobby is supposed to pass the time, not fill it. I did absolutely nothing, and it was everything that I thought it could be. Now, as you probably know, especially if you've listened to the past few episodes, I've been working on a high elf army. And as part of that army, I've also painted up a unit of 20 Phoenix Guards. Ten of them are of the old 4th edition models. Uh, there are four different poses. I only have two of them, but five of each pose. And the other ten are the later 8th edition plastics. I don't have any of the late, uh, the 6th edition metal ones, um, but I think a unit of 20, at least for now, will suffice. These Phoenix Guard featured in two battles I recently fought and a Warhammer skirmish game. I already talked about the skirmish game a little bit on the last episode I did with Nathan. And you will know if you've heard that, that the... Uh, the Phoenix Guard, they did very well, especially since we gave them their 4 plus ward save. But in the end, it was the Dark Elves that won the day. In the other battle that I fought, it was a larger battle, it was a 5th edition battle. And this one was against Emil. Emil is a good friend of the show. And he uh, graciously invited me to come over to his place where I could admire his uh, beautiful hobby room, his uh, extensive collection. And we played a nice battle on a uh, nice large table. And we had a lot of fun doing that. I brought my high elves with some Bretonian allies and Emil fielded a undead army. After the battle, I did a brief little interview with Emil. And um, I'm giving him the chance to uh, just introduce himself a little bit and then we talk about the battle, uh, some of the key moments. So without further ado, let's listen to that interview. I'm here today with Emil. Emil, we played a nice game of Warhammer 5th edition. We're going to discuss the game a little bit, recap it. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and how did you get started with this, uh, shall we say, best of hobbies. Hey GJ, yeah, thank you for coming at first, because it's a bit of a trip, and you're always welcome to have a game for the next time, but more about that later indeed. Uh, yes, I'm Emil, you can find me on Instagram on Tankwell's Lair, if you're interest in, interested in what I'm doing with the hobby, uh, which I've been in partaking in like for 25 years now. I was looking for a Mother's Day gift and came home with the best hobby, like you said, we could have. Uh, let's say it's run out of hand, because ever since I started, I worked in a game store, I helped out at the game store. Uh, I reached a couple of years ago, I stopped working there because my hobby wasn't my hobby anymore. But now I'm full on back in action with gaming, especially in 6th edition with uh, friends of the podcast, Wild Young mostly. And yeah, that's about it for how I started collecting many, many armies, as you can see, if we're like we're sitting here in my hobby room. Uh, and yeah, we'll see how it takes playing games as I can and how many I can. And uh, your favorite army is undoubtedly Skaven. You've uh, shown me the models and you've uh, talked about it, how you... Uh, Present your Skaven, uh, uh, represent your Skaven in every army that you build. Uh, how many armies do you have, and then what, what are your plans uh, for your miniatures? 
Oh boy. Uh, how many armies I have? Let's say which which armies I don't have. I don't have dwarves and empire at the moment. Uh, the rest I have ready to build or have built them. But my most armies I play with are my vampire counts and my Skaven, of course. Which indeed you can have a, a logo of Skaven in every uh, other army I have. But I love playing my ogres as well sometimes. And working up on milking, making more of my Camrys. Because, well, more skeletons doesn't matter how dirty or how sandy they are. And speaking of skeletons, uh, today we pitted my freshly painted high elves with a couple of Bretonian allies against your undead army. Um, well, we uh, we had a lovely game. At least uh, I, I had a lovely game. It went uh, it went both ways. You killed a lot of units of mine, and then in the end, uh, since we played fifth edition, the Hero Hammer edition. It was the heroes that won the day. Uh, what are your thoughts about the game? It was a week. It was a while ago since I played fifth edition. At the start of sixth, I stopped playing that, so it was very fun to do again, especially the magic phase. But I had a lot of fun. I had killed a lot of elves until a certain mage with banishment killed everything they had left on uh, my skeletons and my general, which collapsed. And my mummies at the last hero with the dragon. I almost defeated him. <coughs> Not even close. But it was fun to see how they worked together. And seeing everything like my skeleton horde of freshly painted as well. Uh, skeletons could do against the high elves. Yeah, we both made armies that were... Um, not really competitive, uh, or well, not in this in the way that we were in any way, shape, or form knowing what we were doing. Spent a lot of time looking at the rules, getting into situations where we couldn't find any rules. Um, I had brought a a lord on dragon and a mage, a couple of units of archers, some phoenix guard, a bolt thrower. Um, two great eagles and a unit of Bretonian knights and some spearmen and you had what was your army list again? Uh, I had a leech lord as uh, my army general I had an the BSB with the banner of sorcery to boost my wizard that lost his first two spells in the first two turns of magic so he was pretty useless uh, I had a mummy lord because I always wanted to play that guy and I had a weight lord on chariot with a great maze of death who did the only wounds on the dragon because uh, it was automatic hits. Uh, I also had a block of skeletons to reinforce my leech lord and the battle standard bearer, two units of uh, cavalry, uh, two skull catapults, nine mummies and a ghost because I really wanted to know what he did. But like most of my army, it blew up against some banishment uh, evil actions. Uh, and a couple of chariots. I don't believe you uh, mentioned oh. those. Yeah. So, uh, well, in the first few turns, my my high elf force remained mostly stationary, uh, waiting for the, uh, for the undead to get here. I had my eagles fly high, which was fortunate that I didn't also make my general fly high because in the first turn you got two direct hits with your Screaming Skull Catapult. One of them blasted away, uh, I believe it was nine of the spearmen, uh, all nine of them hit, and the other one killed enough knights to make uh, them take a panic test and they ran off the table in the first turn. Uh, bringing the battle banner along with them so that was a lot of points fleeing off the table right there um, my own artillery my single bolt thrower was not as effective it did kill some of the cavalry um, did cause a couple of wounds I believe also on the chariot I'm not even sure about that but um, the most action I had was with my with my mage. Uh, I had a level 4 mage and the spells I drew were uh, banishment as uh, Emil already said and I also had the uh, what was the name again? The, the coruscation of 
Fenrir, yeah. which basically allows your mage to fly above the battlefield and have the spells at no range. Uh, now, if you know Banishment, it is a spell that every undead model or every demon on the table has to roll a d6, and on the roll of a 4+, plus, that model will take d6 wounds with no armor saves allowed. We thought it was a little bit broken to use that in, com in combination with the, the Coruscation spell, so we did set that range at 12 inches, but it was in the end what uh, caused the wounds on the Lich what made me win the game. And Drain Magic was one of the spells I had, also making the Lich uh, drop a couple of levels. Also a very good spell, and the last one was the Glamour of Techless, which uh, didn't really do anything. But uh, yeah, it was nice to have. Um, the Dragon Lord I was a little bit hesitant with to charge him into things, just because I didn't know how he would perform. But in the end, he, um, he, he had a couple of good runs with uh, especially when challenging doing some overkill um, winning the combat and the uh, not having to test for fear that was also a great uh, great benefit of that dragon uh, I, I had painted Imric on a dragon and I just wanted to see how the how the dragon would perform uh, this was a normal dragon and it was uh, very nice. I, I used it as a blue dragon which has a lightning bolt attack and that was underwhelming to say the least. I believe it caused maybe one single wound in all of the game. For the lightning bolt you have to roll a 4 plus and then um, if you have a 4 plus then you get a strength 6 hit on that model and then you have to select another model in base contact with it, roll another 4+, plus, and then it can move all through the unit but I kept rolling 2s and 3s so that was not really very very helpful there. Uh, a regular brass weapon would have been much more helpful but I will probably try that next time. Emil, any, any thoughts about how it went for you? Uh, it w went in the start went pretty great because uh, all you had small units, so those were easy to get away. Especially the skeleton horsemen with the Doom Rider banners are a must take, I think, because all the strength four hits, because I didn't take lances but spears, uh, were amazingly good against toughness three models that you can instant kill. It was bad with uh, the drain magic you cast, and then I did a drain magic myself, which made me lose another level. So magic on my part. Uh, was unsuccessful. I was happy to just keep raise that because if needed I could boost my units if needed and for the rest yeah all my combat went great it was the last part with my heroes I wasn't really used on making the heroes for fifth edition so I did some items that I really liked I uh, had a mummy with of course the Tomb King's crown and a curse book which did help a bit but the high of uh, web skills, of course, pretty high. So it is harder to uh, hit them back with your just weapon skill four. And for the rest, yeah, I think if I brought some more small shooting, that would have uh, could be effective a little bit. But yeah, the screamer skill cat builds were the mans of the matches. One held up eagle for like three combat rounds in his own, and we had of course the lucky shots in the first two turns. I think nothing misfired. Everything was a direct hit I fired. The Bretonian Knights having to flee, that was weird to see that it happened, but it was great. Cause yeah, skull checkers still do what they do every every edition. Like making sure you get a panic test uh, for the opponent and makes stuff flee if you're lucky. In this case, it was very lucky to see those Knights run off the table cause they would have been a pain in my ass. <laughs> if to be fair. And for the rest, yeah, it was getting used to. I'm uh, hopefully going to play some more this year, more of the 5th edition, because it was real fun. Loved the magic phase with the cards, even though I only had one spell in my second uh, magic from of my magic uh, phase. That was a bit sad, but I loved playing the game with magic cards again. So much fun to do, and just seeing how effective spells can be, and everything that goes around and involving with storing the cards, and having items to do more with the, with your magic, it was very fun. I may have to take some more wizards the next time, but I 
didn't want to go really spammy with in a lot of wizards because I don't like to spam units. I don't like to be too powerful with some things to make it unbalanced or not per se unfair, but uh, I like to have a fun game. It's That's the most important thing. I think it's not uh, important to win. I want to see what some units can do. I just wanted to bring the mummies. Uh, the mummies did absolutely n nothing actually for me, but it was fun to see them on the table and pay 500 points <laughs> for them. And the character that did nothing, but it was scary to see from, oh, you were hesitant to charge with your dragon. And I think the dragon would have done a lot of trouble uh, if they charged it in there uh, sooner or if it had a fire attack instead of an electric attack it would have been really hurtful for them but it was so fun to see and a unit with four wounds is is cool uh, i was happy to to play with them and see them on the table perform and the horsemen are a fun unit as well because uh, i built this army that we played with mostly for sex edition to make a Heinrich Kemmler list from the uh, Barrow Knights of uh, Barrow, Barrow Weights uh, list. But um, yeah, it was fun to see that they actually work and all the models can be used for this edition very well. And surely we'll paint up more for our next game. Well, let's leave it at that. Uh, there will uh, definitely be another game, maybe a rematch, or maybe we have some other armies that we want to pit against each other. Uh, this was great fun. Thanks for having me, Emil. And uh, I hope to uh, have many more games against you in the future. The most recent battle I played with my High Elves was a, an 8th edition battle against a Nurgle-only Demon's Army. And... I made some uh, tactical errors, I also had a bit of bad luck. Uh, this battle did not go my way and it was pretty much clear from maybe turn 2 or 3 that I was not going to win this. The Nurgle army was led by Epidemius which is a special character that allows you to count all the wounds caused by Nurgle units and Nurgle spells and if you reach certain amounts your Nurgle demons get buffs. They get extra toughness, extra wounds, they even get to reroll their, um, their ward save. Um, I, I said extra wounds but that's not true. Extra toughness, extra strength, so there's something else and, and then they get to reroll their ward save. Uh, we rolled for which battle we were going to do and we played the uh, uh, the scenario where you are in a pass, the um, long table edges are impassable terrain and you s deploy along the short table edges. And that was where my, where my first tactical error was. I had my troops all the way at the front of the deployment zone. The deployment zone is 24 inches in and then you have 24 inches of no man's land and then the last 24 inches are your opponent's deployment zone. I deployed all the way at the front where um, Ruland, who I played against, uh, a good buddy of mine, he said after, after the battle you should have deployed all the way at the back and just let me come at you. Uh, which indeed I should have done. I relied too much on my high weapon skill, always strike first rerolls. I thought I could make a dent, but that extra toughness rerollable ward save was just too much to handle. My main unit was a block of spearmen, and with them was a battlestander bear with the banner of the world dragon, which um, gives you a 2 plus ward save against anything magical, which is anything, everything in the demon army. Um, even though that's a little bit broken to use, I, I didn't even really think about that when I picked this item. I just thought, oh well, that's a nice item to use. Let's just uh, let's just field it. And then later I thought, or I learned that everything in the demon army has uh, magical attacks, which I should have known, but I have forgotten. Um, it was a little bit broken to use that. He he could not um, make a dent in my unit, but likewise I was unable to cause much damage to his plague bearers. 
I had a couple of mages that were mostly useless. I had a level 4 mage with high magic. It caused some damage when I rolled high in the first turn or maybe the second turn, high enough at least, that I could get a spell off where you, every model in the targeted unit uh, takes a strength 4 hit and that's a, a fire spell that keeps burning and it has to be dispelled uh, otherwise at the end of every subsequent magic phase the, everyone in the unit takes another hit uh, this went on for a single round only before it was dispelled and then my mage got into combat and he could not cast any of his useful spells anymore and the other two mages that i had were a level one light wizard that was with a unit of archers that got charged before he could fire off his spell and eventually got the unit got destroyed and the third one was a dragon mage that bit the dust in the very first turn uh, nurgle got the first turn and the eye of the gods table came up on a uh, on a six uh, which is the number for nurgle and every enemy unit plus every unit of the demons of Zinch uh, persuasion I believe it was Zinch it has to take a d6 strength 3 hits on the roll of a 6 plus and my dragon mage was of course killed outright by that in the first round taking 3 wounds and uh, I did save 1 with his dragon armor ward save but that was not enough the battle went pretty much sideways from there for me. Um, I had a unit of Phoenix Guard of the unit of 20. Five of them were killed by a stone thrower shot from the, uh, from the Soul Grinder. And then later on said Soul Grinder plus the uh, a great unclean one that he brought. They ran into my Phoenix Guard and they just slowly chipped away at that ward safe until they were all dead. The only unit that I had that did anything was that Spearman unit with the banner of um, Banner of the World Dragon, and that was uh, cancelled out pretty quickly when a unit of second unit of Plague Bearers hit that unit in the flank, thus destroying the rank bonus that it had, and then it was just uh, taking leadership tests until the unit broke. My general did try to kill Epidemius. He caused one wound, but that was not enough to take him out. All in all, um, I made some tactical errors. I learned a lot from this battle. Will I make those same mistakes again at some point in the future? Uh, probably. But there are still plenty of other mistakes that I can make before that time. Now, in both this battle and in the battle against Emil, as well as in that skirmish game, Phoenix God played a role, a rather important role, except that in the battle against Emil, they, I believe they, they took a shot from a Screaming Skull catapult and ran off the table um, pretty quickly. And... The Phoenix Guard, I thought, were a nice unit that we could do a deep dive into for this episode. High Elves are one of the two armies that got army books for every edition, the other one being Chaos. And High Elves have a 4th edition army book that doesn't really give us too much lore about the Phoenix Guards. The only snippet we find about the Phoenix God, at least the only snippet that I could find about the Phoenix God, is in the description of the Kingdoms of Ulthuan. There is an area known as the Inner Sea, and in the Inner Sea is a um, an island, the Island of the Flame, on which is the Shrine of Asurian. And the Island of the Flame, the Shrine of Asurian, the, the Pyramid in which this this eternal fire burns this is guarded by the phoenix guard the phoenix king goes there at least the new phoenix king goes there to step into the fires and um, that is his rite of passage to become the next phoenix king now we all know what happened to 
to Malekith. And if you don't know, there is an episode that Nathan did uh, long, long ago about Malekith, one of the first ones. So um, I recommend you go back to that one. Uh, anyway, the Shrine of Asurian is guarded by the formidable warriors of the Phoenix Guard. During their term of service, these warriors take a vow to speak no word. They fight in a silence that is terrifying to their foes. After their term, they never speak of the mysteries they have witnessed. This is a bit of an outlier because in all the subsequent editions, the Phoenix Guard are bound by a magical vow of silence from which they cannot be released. And uh, Phoenix Guard in 4th edition could retire, they could go to a, a nice um, sunny kingdom and have a, a nice home with a white picket fence, I guess. I don't know how elves would retire. But in other editions it is uh, implied that the post of Phoenix Guard is a position for life. Phoenix Guard in 4th edition are a 0 to 1 choice. You can have one unit of Phoenix Guard, they cost 14 points per model. They wear light armor and they are armed with halberds. They have a movement of 5, weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, strength 3, toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 7, 1 attack and a leadership of 8. They don't have any special rules, which means that the Phoenix Guard are sort of on par with uh, the, the Sword Masters and the White Lions. Uh, although the White Lions have a, a slightly different profile. But those Elite Elves, they were just basically different units with the same stat line and a different, different weapon choice. Your Phoenix Guard may carry a Magic Standard. And the Phoenix Guard may have their heavy arm, uh, Light Armor replaced by Heavy Armor at the cost of plus one point per model, putting them up to 15 points. Now in 4th edition and in 5th edition as well, if you wanted a champion and musician for the unit, you basically doubled the cost for a regular trooper. So if you have your Phoenix Guard with heavy armor, and I don't see why not, then you will have to pay 15 points extra for both a standard bearer and a musician. And your um, Phoenix Guard could be accompanied by an Elven Champion. The Champion costs 48 points. Champions are characters in Hero Hammer. They have Movement 5, Weapon Skill 5, Ballistic Skill 5, Strength 4, Toughness 3, 1 Wound Initiative 7, 2 Attacks and a Leadership of 8. They can have one magic item and otherwise they have to be equipped in the same way as the unit. From the 4th edition book we go to the 5th edition book and the 5th edition book gives us a little bit more information about the Phoenix Guard of the Shrine of Assyrian as they are formerly known in this army book. The Phoenix Guard are the hieratic guardians of the Shrine of Assyrian, the Great Pyramid Temple on an isle in the Sea of Dreams. Inside the shrine it is said there lies the Chamber of Days, and that the histories of the Phoenix King's past, present and future are written in words of fire upon stone. The Phoenix Guard do not utter a word, for it is forbidden for anyone who has seen the, the secrets of time to speak of them, and all who do so take a magical vow of silence from which they cannot be released. In battle they advance with an uncanny silence, wielding their, uh, wielding their weapons without shouts or cries, unnerving the enemy by their quiet courage. So now this silence has been downgraded from terrifying to unnerving, but it still has no rules in the game. At certain times during the periods assigned to the rights of Assyrian, the Phoenix Guard attend to the Phoenix King, taking over the duties otherwise undertaken by the White Lions. At other times they serve those whose ceremonial duties bring them to the shrine, and they travel to the cities of Ultuan during the festivals of the, of the Elven God. Most famously they accompany the newly chosen Phoenix Candidate, and attend him as he enters the Flame Eternal, which marks his rebirth as the Phoenix King. They 
also carry the body of the dead Phoenix King to the White Ship at the time of his passing, appearing suddenly and without prior warning at the time of his death. Phoenix Guards have the same profile in 5th edition as they had in 4th edition, and they cost the same number of points. They have access to the same upgrades. Phoenix Guard are still uh, 14 points, 15 points if you give them a magic, uh, not a magic, they can still have a magic banner, they cost 15 points if you give them their heavy armor, and they are still a 0 to 1 choice. Phoenix Guard in 4th and 5th edition fall under regiments, and the High Elf army is comprised of characters, uh, up to 50%, at least 25% of regiments, and these include basically all your elven troops except uh, war machines. Uh, war machines are a separate category, monsters and allies are a separate category, and all of these can comprise up to 25% of your army. Now things change a little bit when we get to 6th edition. In 6th edition we have, contrary to the other editions, no really recycled pieces of information. Some of the things I just read out from the 5th edition army book are recycled verbatim in the 7th and 8th edition army book. Some stuff has been added there. But in 6th edition there is a... Uh, well, the description is the same, but it is now written from the perspective of the elves. The Phoenix Guards have a slightly different profile in 6th edition than they had in in 4th and 5th edition. They are still movement 5, weapon skill 4, ballistic skill 4, strength 3, toughness 3 and 1 wound. Their initiative has dropped from 7 to 6. They are still at 1 attack and their leadership has been increased from 8 to 9. Um, seeing as how important leadership is over initiative, especially in 6th in and later editions, I don't really mind this change at all. Phoenix Guard have the special rule Cause Fear. They fight in utter silence bound by their magical oath and this causes the enemies to fear them. I always thought, even back in the day, that that was a bit of a silly reason to be afraid of elves. At least goblins have a a good reason to be afraid of elves because they stink funny, but they are afraid of all elves. However, uh, I don't see why somebody who is silent on the battlefield would be more unnerving than, say, a chaos marauder uh, shouting, coming at me with his axe above his head. All High Elves in 6th edition have the special rule Stoic, which I should mention probably, which is that when the High Elves are fighting a Dark Elf army, all High Elves are immune to panic. Phoenix Guard cost 15 points, they've got a slight points increase, but that is only because Heavy Armor is now standard, it is now included. They are still a 0 to 1 choice and Phoenix Guard are now rare units. In 6th uh, edition you had to pay a set number of points for a Musician, a Standard Bearer and a Champion. And these are respectively 7, 14 and 14 points. Your uh, Standard Bearer can have a Magic Banner worth up to 50 points. And uh, in the Hero Hammer era you could just uh, select one Magic item um, and there was no no points limit to it, you, you basically have magic item slots. Now you have magic items with point limits, slots and point limits. And the Keeper of the Flame may choose up to 25 points of magic items. So we could even have multiple if you would want that. The 7th edition didn't really see much change for the Phoenix Guard, at least in terms of profile rules and points cost. They did get a, a few extra rules. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. I do want to read out a few passages that are included in the 7th edition army book that were not included in the 5th edition army book that I read out earlier. When the Lord orders them to war, the Phoenix Guard are grim and resolute, clad in ornate armor and armed with tall ceremonial halberds. 
While their stony quiet is unnerving to foes, the aura of fear that surrounds them is far more horrifying. Their eyes blaze with a fiery intensity born of unshakable faith in the creator god of the elves, and the air around the regiment of Phoenix God literally throbs with the raw power of Assyrian. Any who would stand in their way are assailed by, the, by an overwhelming sense of dread. On the battlefield, Phoenix Guards are always found where the fighting is at its most fierce, for they know their destiny, whether they shall live or the exact moment and manner of their death, and so battle holds no fear for them. From ancient times, before Anarion and the war against the demons, the legions of the Phoenix Guard always numbered 10,000, and even now their number is the same. This has given rise to the legends that the Phoenix God are immortal or at least able to return from the dead. On this subject, like all others, the Phoenix God remain silent. What a lovely little tidbit that is. That is something that you would expect in in Hero Hammer, maybe even a 6th edition, but definitely not in a, a grim and serious edition as 7th. Phoenix Guards have the same points value, the same profile, but they have a couple of extra rules. They now have the special rule Valor of Ages, which is a rule that uh, pertains to the Dark Elves when they are fighting Dark Elves. No longer are they immune to panic, but they can re-roll all failed psychology tests. They also have the rule Speed of Assyrian, which means that they always strike first. They still cause fear, now it's no longer because they are silent and unnerving, I guess Games Workshop also found that a bit silly, but it is because of the presence of Assyrian on the battlefield. And the Phoenix Guard now have a 4 plus ward save, uh, this is to represent their knowledge of when and how they are going to die. There's a nice little little snippet here in the book, um, a, an extract from A Man Among the Elves by Herwig Elgnar. Um, and Herwig writes about the Phoenix God the following. Until one has witnessed the Phoenix Guard upon the field of battle, one cannot comprehend the power that they possess. Ranks of highly trained warriors all utterly silent. Around them the very air shimmers. They are not just the guardians of a temple, they are the chosen warriors of a mighty elven god. No spoken word commands them, yet each knows his place within the battle plan. They do not balk before even the vilest horrors of the world. It is said that each knows the moment he will die, and I believe it, for they face the maelstrom of battle with unflinching resolve. Who but one utterly convinced of his survival or demise could face a hail of arrows or a charge from some unspeakable monster without flinching? The horrors and wonders they must have seen, these Phoenix Guard. How I wish they could only speak of it to mortals not gifted with such foresight. Well, there's a nice little bit of philosophy um, and something I'm just going to put out there. Would you want to know the moment and manner of your death? And if so, how would that impact your life? Ooh, this is one that's getting a lot more philosophical than I had intended at first. Phoenix Guard, like I said, still cost 15 points. Their upgrades are the same, except that they are a tiny little bit cheaper. The upgrade to a champion and the upgrade to a standard bearer now is no longer 14 points, but it is 12 points. And to have a musician, you only need to pay 6 points. They can still have the same number and points value of magic items. And there is another big change to Phoenix Guard in that they are now no longer a rare choice. They are special and furthermore they are no longer 0 to 1. They are, uh, well they don't have a limit. The final iteration of the Phoenix Guard we find in 8th edition. 8th edition gives us the 
Phoenix Guard as we saw them in 7th edition. Uh, basically the profile has remained unchanged. It's still movement web skill 5, ballistic skill 4. Not that they ever are going to use that. Strength and toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 6, 1 attack and leadership 9. They have the special rule always strike first which is in an elven special rule. All elves have always strike first in 8th edition. They cause fear and they have the rules Martial Prowess and Valor of Ages. Martial Prowess is a rule that elves have that allows them to fight in one extra rank. So if you are in 8th edition you already fight in 2 ranks and if you have Martial Prowess you fight in 3 ranks. And if you don't also have Spears you add a 4th rank and if you are in a Horde formation you would add a 5th rank. So you can have a unit of 50 high elf spearmen that all get to attack, which is basically throwing buckets of dice and uh, it, it, it gets a bit ludicrous, honestly. The Phoenix Guard have the uh, rule Valor of Ages, which uh, pertains to the Dark Elves. It now no longer allows you to reroll a failed uh, psychology test, but it specifically allows you to reroll a failed panic fear or terror test um, and that, that makes sense because if somehow your high elves would have gotten a, a stupidity rule on them then it would not make sense that they could re-roll that uh, maybe as a result of a spell or something um, I don't know if that was a possibility I, I have not played enough high elves or dark elves to uh, to know that but I can imagine that this is not something that you get to re-roll with Valor of Ages. Uh, so that makes sense. Um, they still have their 4 plus ward save. Except now it is uh, called the rule Witness to Destiny. There are more models that have the rule Witness to Destiny. And the Witness to Destiny rule just says you have a 4 plus ward save. Now, Phoenix Guard in uh, 8th edition still cost 15 points. Uh, their point cost has remained basically unchanged from what it was in 4th edition, assuming that you give them heavy armor. Uh, all the Phoenix Guards that I mentioned so far from 6th, 7th and 8th edition have heavy armor and they carry halberds. Phoenix Guards are now um, still a special unit. They are still... Um, no, no more 0 to 1. You can have multiple units of Phoenix Guard. They can still have the upgrade for Champion, Musician and Standard Bearer. And each of these is 10 points. And the Champion can have magic items up to 25 points. And the Phoenix Guard unit may have a magic standard worth up to 50 points. Now... Before we leave the Phoenix Guard in 8th edition, you also had a Phoenix Guard Lord level character, which was the Chosen of Assyrian. Uh, sorry, the Anointed of Assyrian. The, the Chosen of Assyrian is the uh, chapter title, if you can call it that, in which the Phoenix Guard and the Anointed of Assyrian are described. The Anointed of Assyrian costs 210 points and like I said he is a Lord level character. He has a helmet and heavy armor. His stats are movement 5, web skill 7, ballistic skill 6, strength 4, toughness 3, 3 wounds, initiative 8, 3 attacks and leadership 9. He has the special rules always strike first, a blessing of Assyrian, which is a special uh, pertaining only to him. All models in the unit that contain an anointed of Assyrian have a 6 plus ward save and the immune to psychology special rule. So this is one of the lords that you would probably not put in your Phoenix guard because they already have that 4 plus ward save. Which he himself has, has as well. He has a role witness to destiny. He causes fear. He has a magic resistance of 2. And he has a rules martial prowess and valor of the ages that all the high elves have. For his options he can take magic items up to 100 points. And he can ride either a flame spire phoenix or a frost heart phoenix. Now since we are talking about the phoenix guard. It 
might be nice to dive into these phoenixes. You can feel them as uh, separate monsters. They, they can't have any upgrades, um, but they do have their own set of special rules, each of them. The Flamespire Phoenix, whether as a mount or as a, a lone monster, as a rare unit, costs 225 points, and the Frostheart Phoenix costs 240 points. The Flamespire Phoenix has a movement of 2, weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 0, strength 5, toughness 5, 5 wounds, initiative 4, 3 attacks and a leadership of 8. It is a monster and it has the special rule Fireborn, Flaming Attacks, Fly, Large Target and Terror. Fireborn is a special rule that is in the High Elf Army book. And the special rule Fireborn says that any unit with this rule has a 2 plus ward save against wounds caused by flaming attacks. Makes sense that if you are comprised of flames yourself then flaming attacks don't really do much. The Phoenix is uh, attuned to magic. A model with this special rule has a 5 plus ward save and its close combat attacks are magical attacks, so basically the same as what a demon has. In addition, when we're rolling to determine the strength of the winds of magic in the controlling player's magic phase, compare the highest d6 rolled with the table below to determine what effects the phoenix will have. And the effect will last until the start of the controlling player's next magic phase. If you roll a double one, if your highest is a one, the Phoenix Ward save is reduced to a 6+. Plus. If your highest is a 2, you have a minus 1 strength. If your highest is a 3, the Phoenix has plus 1 initiative. On a 4, the Phoenix has plus 1 attack. On a 5, the Phoenix has plus 1 strength. And on a 6, the Phoenix's Ward save is increased to 4+. Plus. So you want to roll high. In my last battle with High Elves, I, I did not have any Phoenixes, but I did at one point roll a 3, so that would have um, made his strength a little bit less. Now, Phoenixes, as we know from mythology, uh, when they die, they can be reborn. And this rule is also in, the, in here with the Flamespire Phoenix. Phoenix Reborn, as soon as a Flamespire Phoenix loses its last wound, including unsaved wounds that killed the monster as a result of the heroic killing blow or multiple wound special rules, remove the model and place a Phoenix Reborn counter. A small coin will do to mark the center of the death spot. If your army contains several Flamespire Phoenixes, you will need to place a Phoenix Reborn counter for each one that is slain and a way of telling the counters apart. At the end of the turn, roll a d6 for each Phoenix Reborn counter and consult the table below. On a 1 to 2, dead embers. The Flamespire Phoenix is dead, never to return, remove the counter from play. On a 3 to 5, flame kindled. Send the large round template over the center of the Phoenix Reborn counter. All models, friend or foe, hit by the template suffer a strength 4 hit with the flaming attack special rule. The Phoenix Reborn counter remains in play, roll again at the end of the next turn, yours or your opponents. And 6 plus is Arise from the Ashes. Place the Flamespire Phoenix anywhere that is within 6 inch of the center of the Phoenix Reborn counter and at least 1 inch away from any unit, then remove the marker from play. If it is not possible to place the Phoenix due to the aforementioned restrictions, treat the result as Flame Kindled. Reborn Flamespire Phoenixes return with D3 plus 2 wounds, so they can potentially have their, their maximum wounds of 5. The Reborn model suffers no bonuses or penalties incurred from its former existence. So if you are fleeing, you are no longer. If you had an augment or a hex spell on it, it is no longer valid. Um, and I guess also the uh, Winds of Magic will not count. If a Flamespire Phoenix has a Rider when it loses its last wound, both Monster and Rider are removed and replaced with a Phoenix Reborn counter. However, add plus one when rolling 
on the Phoenix Reborn table for a Phoenix that had a Rider when it was removed. If the result is dead embers, both monster and rider are slain never to return. However, if the result is rise from the ashes, the character returns to life with its starting number of wounds, riding atop the reborn flamespire phoenix. Note that if the rider was slain before the flamespire phoenix, a rise from the ashes result will not resurrect the character, so only if they die at the same time, that is. Um, pretty situational, but it can happen, so... Yeah, uh, nice that they included it in there. And at the end of the game, all the Phoenix Reborn counters are removed and they count as casualties, the Phoenixes and the Riders. One last rule it has is Wake of Fire. If a Flamespire Phoenix moves over one or more unengaged enemy units in the remaining moves subphase, you can choose one of those units. That unit suffers D6, Strength 4 hits, plus an additional d3 hits per rank after the first. These hits have the flaming attacks special rule. I have several of these phoenixes but I have not painted them up yet and I'm curious to see how they will fare in battle. Uh, maybe I will, I probably I will take a break from painting high elves in the near future but these might be some of the units that I would like to include for a, for a future 8th edition battle. Uh, the Frostheart Phoenix is also worth mentioning. Uh, the Flamespire Phoenix, when it ages, its body cools and even begins to sap heat from its surroundings. Finally, the plumage that once blazed with fire grows heavy with frost and ice. And once this occurs, you have a Frostheart Phoenix. They are movement 2, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 0, strength and toughness 6, 5 wounds, initiative 3, 4 attacks and a leadership of 9. Most of these stats are increased compared to the Flamespire Phoenix. They have an extra weapon skill, an extra strength, an extra toughness. They have the same number of wounds, one less initiative but one more attack each of uh, one more each of attack and leadership. They have the rule attuned to magic, so what happens with the Flamespire Phoenix also happens with the Frostheart Phoenix when you have the magic phase uh, dice that you roll. They have the rule fly, large target and terror, but instead of the uh, fiery, fiery wake they have blizzard aura. Any unit in base contact with the Frostheart Phoenix has the Always Strikes last special rule and suffers minus one to its strength to a minimum of one. And it has the rule Natural Armor. A Frostheart Phoenix is protected by a thick coating of ice, granting it a 5 plus armor save. Mm, pretty nice to have that extra save on there. I think I would rather have that reborn rule just because of the extra table that you get to roll on. But yeah, this one is nice too. That is it for the regular Phoenix God and for the Phoenix God Lord, the Anointed of Assyrian. Before I let you go though, there is one special character that we have to look at. That is Caradrian, the captain of the Phoenix God. Cradrian starts in the fourth edition, uh, not in the fourth edition, in the fifth edition High Elf Army book. He is a uh, 70, 73 points character. He has a movement of 5, web skill 5, blizzard skill 5, strength 4, toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 7, 2 attacks, and a leadership of 9, which is your basic elven um uh, captain so so your uh, champion level character he has heavy armor and he has a sword and a halberd he always fights on foot and he carries no magic items but he does have a special rule mark of Assyrian if Caradrian is killed in hand-to-hand -hand combat he will speak for one final time in his life and call for Assyrian with his dying breath this will summon the wrath of the god upon his slayer. The model that killed Caradrian must take an immediate leadership test or be slain by the wrath of Assyrian, regardless of wounds or any saves. Now, I think most characters, most models that 
uh, Slay, Kerradrian would probably pass their leadership test, especially if they are models that you want that. But on the off chance that you meet this Blender, Chaos Lord, um, always challenge when you have this, uh, this character here. There's a little bit of lore about him too. Caradrian of Eertane was the son of a great merchant prince. Handsome, rich, powerful and arrogant, he was the archetype of the jaded high elf aristocrat. He was uncaring and self-indulged, proud and vain. Basically, I guess like all elves are. Can you tell already that I'm not a high elf player? Um, at least not historically. Uh, I am getting too used to them, but uh, yeah, still uh, making fun of elves is uh, one of my favorite Warhammer pastimes. Anyhow, Caradrian's life was changed when he made a pilgrimage to the Shrine of Assyrian, which all elf nobles are expected to do at least once in their life. There, driven by arrogance and curiosity, he secretly sneaked into the Holy Chamber of Days. What he witnessed there no one knows, but when he emerged from that chamber he was a changed man. On his forehead was a glowing rune of Assyrian marking him as the servant of the creator god. Why Assyrian had chosen Caradrian as the instrument of his will is unknown, but Caradrian gave up all his worldly possessions and took the vows of the phoenix god, and has never uttered a word since then. Caradrian spent his days in meditation in the Chamber of Days, reading the fiery letters that tell of the past, the present and the future. During the years he became ever closer to the thoughts of Assyrian until he was marked as Captain of the Phoenix God by the ancient Elf God. Now he leads the Phoenix God during times of peace and war, taking orders from no worldly master and appearing on the battlefield only by the will of Assyrian. He serves the purpose and plan of the Lord of the Gods. There is strength in his hand and the wisdom of Assyrian sits on his noble brow. In the 6th edition army book, Caradrian is no longer included. I could not find if he was ever included as a White Dwarf special character. I know that White Dwarf brought back some units and special characters from earlier editions. But I could not find if Caradrian was one of them. So if I missed that, please forgive me. He does, however, appear in 7th edition again and also in 8th edition. His lore remains unchanged in 7th edition uh, to a letter from what it was in 5th edition. Caradrian has a movement of 5 a weapon skill of 6, ballistic skill of 6, strength 4, toughness 3, 2 wounds, initiative 7, 3 attacks and a leadership of 9. He's gotten a bit of an increase there, he is now no longer a champion but a hero level character. He has heavy armor and his weapon is no longer a regular halberd but the phoenix blade. He's got the special rules, valor of ages, speed of Assyrian, cause fear and the 4 plus ward save that all phoenix cards have in 7th edition and on top of that he has magic resistance 3. The mark of Assyrian means that if he is killed in close combat he will speak for one final time and call on Assyrian to visit his wrath upon the Caradrian Slayer. That remains unchanged but the effect is a little bit different now. The model that killed Caradrian immediately suffers d6 wounds with no armor saves allowed. And his magic weapon, the Phoenix Blade. It is a halberd. The ancient halberd was enchanted for the captain of the Phoenix Guard, Kor Balin. All attacks made with the Phoenix Blade are flaming attacks, and in addition, it causes not one but d3 wounds against the enemy models with unit strength 2 or greater. So it's a bit of a, a roundabout way of saying that it does not cause d3 wounds against regular infantry characters. Um, so you can't use this to, to one-off a, uh, a hero or a lord level character. But you can use it against monsters and, and cavalry. Um, well, maybe not cavalry, but uh, things like monsters, cavalry, trolls, uh, stuff like that. Uh, Caradrian is a hero level character, 
he uh, uh, costs 175 points and he has no other upgrades that you can buy for him. Now in 8th edition we see the law of Caradrian fleshed out a little bit more. He is still the arrogant lordling that he was in his youth um, and his life still changed when he made a pilgrimage. He still spends his days in meditation, reading and here is where the lore gives us a little bit of extra information. Caradrian spends long days in secluded meditation reading the fiery letters that tell the past, present and future. At other times he stands atop the wall of the shrine, his keen gaze scouring the lands of Ulthuan. Indeed it is said that no event is so small as to evade Caradrian's gaze and no sound small enough to escape his hearing. Some have accused him of harnessing the prophecies of Assyrian in order to influence the future. A transgression against the creator god ranked among the highest of blasphemies. However, the truth of the matter is that Caradrian simply notices things that others do not and has no prattling tongue to distract him from matters of greater import. Over his long years of study and contemplation, Caradrian has become ever closer to the thoughts of Assyrian until finally the hand of the creator marked him as the captain of the Phoenix Guard. Now he leads the devoted guardians of Assyrian during times of peace and war. There's divine strength in his hand and the wisdom of Assyrian sits upon his noble brow. Caradrian normally fights at the head of the Phoenix Guard as befits his rank, but sometimes conducts the battle from the back of Ashtari, oldest and wisest of the Phoenixes of the Flamespire. Theirs is a bond that goes back centuries to Caradrian's earliest days of service. At the Battle of Finneval Plain, Ashtari picked an unequal fight with the black dragon Korzarandar and it was only Caradrian's intervention that rescued the phoenix from a grisly fate. Since those days both Ashtari's flames and impetuousness have faded to naught, but his loyalty to Caradrian burns as brightly as ever. Caradrian has movement 5, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 6, strength 4, toughness 4, 2 wounds, initiative 7, 3 attacks and leadership 9 in this edition, which I believe makes him unchanged from his 7th edition iteration, at least in terms of his profile. And Astari, is, uh, he has the profile of a Frostheart Phoenix, I believe, uh, movement 2, web skill 6, ballistic skill 0, Strength and Toughness 6, 5 Wounds Initiative 3, 5 Attacks and Leadership of 9, giving him an extra attack above a regular Frostheart Phoenix. Caradrian is an infantry special character and he may be going into battle on his Frostheart Phoenix, which is then of course a ridden monster. Caradrian has these special rules, always strike first, fear, magic resistance 1, Martial prowess, valor of ages, and witness to destiny. Apart from the magic resistance, the same as all the Phoenix Guard have. And he has the Mark of Assyrian. If Caradrian is slain in close combat, the unit that killed him immediately suffers D3 wounds with no armor saves allowed. These wounds are distributed as for shooting attacks. Any wounds inflicted count towards combat results. And if Caradrian is killed in a challenge, then only his opponent takes these wounds. Any excess wounds caused by the Mark of Assyrian count towards overkill. That is, I think, a little bit worse than it was. Uh, maybe even, well, I don't know how I feel about this rule. It's all, it, it's, it's not, really, not really devastating or anything, not really changing. Maybe it's best to keep this character alive after all, because uh, even the leadership test or the d6 wounds, no armor save, d3 wounds, no armor save, it's it's all, all a bit meh, if you know what I mean. His uh, special rules for the Phoenix are the same as any Frostheart Phoenix, and his magic item is the Phoenix Blade, the same as it was in 7th edition. It is a um, magic weapon, close combat attacks are resolved at plus 1 strength and have the flaming attacks and multiple wounds, d3 special rules. 
It is no longer classified as a halberd, but it is basically the same halberd as he had, except now it does d3 wounds against everything, even man-sized models. Caradrian is still a hero level character. He costs um, 170 points. He's 5 points cheaper than he was. And his Phoenix is 250 points, which is 10 points more than it was in the um, uh, than a regular Frostheart Phoenix was, I should say. And that is the only option that he has. And uh, Caradrian has uh, has a couple of lovely models. Um, there's uh, the seventh edition model where he is holding his helmet underneath his arm and he has his helmet raised. Uh, maybe that's even the same as the 8th edition model. I do believe that the 8th edition Phoenix model came with just a regular anointed of Assyrian and not really the special character. Although maybe there were some options that you could make him into the special character if you wanted to. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if he got a, a new 8th edition model i'm just quickly browsing to the through the browsing through the book here uh Caradrian, captain of the phoenix guard is there with his his helmet and uh, his his helmet in his hand and i think it's the exact same model as it was in seventh edition let me check real quick i have the seventh edition book here um yes it's it does appear to be the same model it's it's one of the few high elf models I'm still missing. So uh, still still after that, um, maybe uh, going out on a limp here. If you have one and you have one for trade or for sale, then uh, just drop me a line and uh, you will probably make me a a very happy, um, if somewhat disgruntled high elf player. But that disgruntlement is probably because they lost me the last battle that I fought with them, or. Well, maybe it was that I lost them the battle. Anyhow, I probably need more practice with my high elves and I can't do that while recording podcasts. So I think this would be a good time to sign off. As always, thank you for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.